The word of the Lord says, but to you who are willing to listen, I say, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who hurt you. If someone slaps you on one cheek, offer the other cheek also. If someone demands your coat, offer your shirt also. Give to anyone who asks. And when things are taken away from you, don't try to get them back. Do to others as you would like them to do to you. If you love only those who love you, why should you get credit for that? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good only to those who do good to you, why should you get credit? Even sinners do that much. And if you lend money only to those who can repay you, why should you get credit? Even sinners will lend to others for a full return. Love your enemies. Do good to them. Lend to them without expecting to be repaid. Then your reward from heaven will be very great, and you will truly be acting as children of the Most High. For he is kind to those who are unthankful and wicked. You must be compassionate as your Father is compassionate. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Well, good morning. It is so good. Um, my wife Janet and I have been worshiping here at Wichita First now for coming up on a year. And, but this is my first time that I get to speak to you, to preach. And hopefully it's not my last, but we'll find out over the next half hour. If you look at the passage that we just read, there are three things that Jesus repeats three times. I think about when I'm talking to my children, that if I want something to hit home with them, that I will repeat myself. I'll say, empty the dishwasher, empty the dishwasher, empty the dishwasher. And then finally on that third time, they'll be like, oh, did you want me to do something? Yes, I wanted you to empty the dishwasher. And in the same way, Jesus is kind of doing that here. He repeats things for us to be able to get it. He wants us to know three things. And those are, love your enemies, do good to your enemies, and give to your enemies. And so throughout our time this morning, throughout this discussion, I'm going to ask you to help me a little bit, and here's how we're going to do it. Uh, we have three sections here, pretty much in the room. If you're in the balcony, you get to choose. Um, but this section over here, when I point to you, I want you to say, love your enemy. Okay, let's try it. Okay, now say it with some passion and not like you're falling asleep. All right, try it again. Great. Now here in the center section, you are do good to your enemies. Okay, let's try it. Do good to your enemies. Boom, good job. I didn't forget you. Okay, so over here, three things that Jesus said. The last thing is give to your enemies. Let's try it. Give to your enemies. I'm just joking. Okay, so you get it, right? That there are three things that Jesus wants us to see here in this passage and what we're going to be looking at this morning about how that should impact not only the way that we think, 
but the way that we act, the way that we live, the way that we go about our daily lives. Last week, as Pastor Scott said, um, we started a new sermon series in looking at the upside-down kingdom, about how Jesus' message here in Scripture changes everything. And today we're going to be continuing our year-long journey through Luke, and we're going to meditate on these words of Jesus. But I think it's very important that we don't just kind of helicopter down into this passage here in the middle of Luke chapter 6, and we pull out a couple verses, and we look at a couple words about loving and doing good and giving, and then we say, okay, well, that's great. What am I supposed to do with that? We need to also understand the context and what was going on right before this to understand how powerful this message was, how powerful these words are that Jesus is saying to his listeners and to us today. See, in the previous verses, in the second half of, John, of Luke chapter 5, and then the beginning of Luke chapter 6, all the way up to what we read last week and discussed, five different times, Jesus comes into conflict with, his, with the Pharisees, with the teachers of the law, with those who are opposed to him. And it wasn't just like they disagreed with him, but they were saying some pretty nasty things to him. They were trying to do whatever they could to stop Jesus from saying and doing the things that he was doing. Every place that he went, they were already there ahead of him. They were ready to tell him that what he was saying is wrong. No matter what he did, it was wrong. And so five times in the verses, right before the one that we just read, Jesus faces opposition. And so, then his disciples, then his listeners, then his hearers are like, okay, so Jesus, you've experienced all of this opposition, and it's all come so close together. How are we to respond to those who oppose us? And Jesus tells them how we should respond to those who oppose us. But he says it in such a way that completely blew them away because they expected Jesus to say one thing, and Jesus said something completely different, something that was completely upside down from what they were expecting. We see all of these words in the previous verses. Pastor Scott talked last week a lot about what does it mean to, to have woe? Words like exclude and mock and curse, rejection and hate. Those are pretty strong, powerful words of conflict. I like the way that Martin Luther King Jr. stated it, and he said, hate cannot drive out hate. Only love can do that. Hate cannot drive out hate. Only love can do that. And so Jesus, instead of replying in kind to the opposition that he had been facing, that growing tension that was happening between him and the teachers of the law, he introduces us to a new ethic of love. And this is a path that would follow, a path reaching for and striving for and making progress towards this new way of doing good to others. And by pursuing the good of others, we also find ourselves on that path of doing good and receiving those blessings and rewards. See, no matter the opposition, no matter what Jesus and his followers were facing, Jesus said to love 
those who oppose you. End of sentence. Hard stop. There's no parentheses at the end of that. There's no ifs, ands, or buts. It just says, we just did this, guys. All right. He said, love your enemies. That's it. End of sentence. And I, and I know I can hear it, and I know that I can feel it, because I've done the exact same thing, that when I face opposition, my first question, I always ask God, well, God, what about this situation? Jesus, did you really mean that if this happens to me, that I'm supposed to love them? Yeah. And I have this little dialogue back and forth with Jesus, but every single time it ends with me coming back to the fact that I am called to So, who is your enemy? Who is it that we face opposition from? Well, I, th- I think probably the number one enemy that I would say that all of us across the board, that every single one of us here in this room can admit here this morning that we all share a common enemy. And that's Miller Moths. Every single one of us right now has experienced those things, and we all hate them. Probably some of us a little bit more than others, but we hate them, and we're not supposed to. Anyway, so two different categories of enemies. Sometimes our enemies, um, it's very clear who our enemy is. When we're looking at uh, uh, conflict, when we're looking at war, when we're looking at what's happening over on the other side of the world right now between Russia and Ukraine, we have a person on one side and we have another on the other side. It's pretty easy to see, okay, these are enemies of each other. But then we can look at in our own lives, there's two different categories, kind of where our enemies fall. And they are in our personal lives, that we have personal enemies, things that we have experienced, and then we have our enemies uh, ideologically. So let's explore both of those. For personal enemies, probably the number one enemy that we face would be ourselves. That inner dialogue, that inner um, just discussing back and forth, should I do this, should I not do this? I know the things that I want to do, but I don't do them. But we also encounter people on a daily basis, unfortunately, people who give us destructive criticism. Seems like no matter what you do, they can always find something in that task that you accomplished and that you did it wrong. It's always that, man, you did an excellent job, but, man, that was probably one of the best presentations that I have ever seen. However, it seems like they can always nitpick. They can always find something. There's also people who spread gossip. They may tell lies about you. There are those in our lives who sabotage us may sabotage your career, your plans, your ideas. It seems like no matter what, they are out to get you. And all of these kind of fall into this personal category of enemies, but then we also have ideological enemies. And, and that might be people that vote differently than us. Maybe people that think differently 
than us. It may be people that push different agendas than us. It may be people who watch different news programs than us. Here's one. It may be people that parent differently than you. Did you see what their kids were wearing today at church? Can you believe that they came to church wearing that today? If I was their parent, there is no way that I would ever let them do that. But we do that. That we put ourselves in this position where we are opposing our way of thinking, our way of parenting, our way of doing life, our way of voting, our way of speaking, and we oppose another person. And what we have done is we have created this other person, this other group, this other set of ideas or ideals as other, other people, other languages, other beliefs, other systems, other countries, other habits. What I found is that when we begin to categorize people and to put them into categories and put them into blocks, as soon as we go down that path, we all lose. You included. Me included. And I also find it amazing when we incorporate into our language and into our vernacular that us versus them language. Because no matter what, we are always in the us category. Think about that for a second. Anytime it's us versus them, we are always in the correct category. We're always in the right category. We're always in the best category. And it's us over here and them are over there and they are always incorrect. They are always wrong. They are always lesser. And no matter what, we always get to be a part of the us group because we have pitted ourselves and our ideals as the best against the other group. I want you to take a second. Take 15 seconds. That's it. And looking at personal enemies, looking at ideological enemies, looking at these two categories, or maybe this has brought up some other thoughts or some other feelings, I want you just to take a few seconds. And just to yourself, I want you to think and I want you to picture who is your enemy? Who is God bringing to your mind right now? you have it? Can you picture them? Can you see them? Because if we can't picture them, if we can't see them, then we're never going to be able to engage with them the way that we are called to by Jesus. Because we have to move past defining who our enemy is to actually engaging with our enemies. And I find that it's pretty difficult to love your enemies when you insulate yourself from your enemies or you withdraw from those who are opposed to you. It is not loving to disengage from those you disagree with. 
It is not loving to avoid those who oppose you. It is not loving to ignore them. It is not loving to practice uh, passivity around them. But it is loving to bless those who curse you. It is loving to serve those who hate you. It is loving to keep calm in spite of antagonism. It is loving to pray for those who go out of their way. It seems like almost on a daily basis to make your life miserable. Psalm 23 is one of the most often quoted psalms. And I, as we go through that psalm and we read through it, if I ask, probably quite a few of you can recite that psalm depending upon how old you were when you memorized or when you were reading through that psalm, you probably memorized it in a different translation. You may have memorized it as a little kid out of the King James, or um, if you're about Gen X age, probably in the NIV, and then now um, there's different translations out there that are still true to the original languages. But I love the way that the New Living Translation, the NLT, the way that it describes and the way that it Uh, interprets the last verse of Psalm 23. It says, Surely your goodness and unfailing love will pursue me all the days of my life. NIV, if you memorize that when you're growing up, it says, Well, follow me, right? That almost sounds kind of passive. Like, well, I'm going to be walking here, and then God's love is just, okay, Jay's taking a step. All right, no, stop. Yep, no, I'm going to take a step. Pursuing means actively and aggressively moving towards something else in love. And so in that same way, that is the way that we are called to engage with our enemies, is to actively pursue them in love. A few chapters later in the book of Luke, In chapter 10, Jesus tells a story about an enemy. He tells a story about an other. Luke chapter 10, if you would look at these words with me, starting in verse number 29, some of you may be familiar with these words. There was a man who was one of uh, those who had been opposing Jesus, a group of people, an expert in the religious law. And it says in verse 29, this man, he wanted to justify his actions. And so he asked Jesus, who is my neighbor? Jesus replied with a story. A Jewish man was traveling from Jerusalem down to Jericho, and he was attacked by bandits. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him up, and left him half dead beside the road. By chance, a priest came along. But when he saw the man lying there, he crossed to the other side of the road, and he passed him by. A temple assistant walked over and looked at him lying there, but he also passed by on the other side. Then a despised Samaritan came along. Despised Samaritan. One of the others came along, and when he saw the man, he felt compassion for him. Going over to him, the Samaritan soothed his wounds with olive oil and wine and bandaged them. Then he put the man on his own donkey, and he took him to an inn where he took care of him. The next day, he handed the innkeeper two silver coins, telling him, Take care of this man. 
If his bill runs higher than this, I'll pay you the next time I'm here. Now, which of these three would you say was a neighbor to the man who was attacked by bandits? Jesus asked. The man replied, and I can almost hear him saying this sheepishly with his head down, probably just mumbling this under his breath. The one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said these powerful words. Yes, now go and do the same. The Samaritan, the one who took care of the Jewish man who had been injured, was the other. The Samaritans were on the outside. The Jews were the ones on the inside. The Samaritan, the one who showed mercy, the one who showed compassion, was the enemy. And Jesus, in a way that only Jesus can do in his upside-down kingdom, makes the other, makes the enemy the hero of this story the one who went and did what he was supposed to. This definition of neighbor here at the end of Luke chapter 10 shows us how highly proactive that we need to be in doing. The Samaritan, he soothes the wounds of this man. He binds and bandages the wounds. He housed the Jewish man who was injured. He feeds him. And the Samaritan, the enemy, the other, he didn't do all of these things, hoping that the injured Jewish man would eventually repay him, but he did it out of compassion. He did it out of mercy. He showed love to this man who was, according to all accounts, his enemy, and he loved him with no strings attached. I think it's pretty easy to look at this list of things that we are called to do and the way that we relate to those who oppose us. And we think about these three things, which were what? Love your enemies. Do good to your enemies and? We look at all three of these things and we can imagine them almost as some kind of checklist. That if I just do one, two, and three, then I'm going to be okay. That I'm going to be good. But what I want you to understand is that when Jesus came here in the flesh, here to earth, he didn't come to us for a checklist. His announcement was not the kingdom of checklists. And we do ourselves such a great disservice when we turn the kingdom into a system or into a list of do's and don'ts. And when we fall into this trap of a checklist kingdom, we can easily get discouraged when we fail. I didn't love my enemy today. I didn't do good towards this group or towards that group last week. I'm living paycheck to paycheck myself. How could I ever give or lend to somebody else? But each of those statements, each of those ways of thinking in this checklist sort of kingdom puts me, puts I, puts we, puts us at the center of that kingdom. And guess what? It's not about you. Did you hear that? Some of you, this may burst your bubble, and I'm sorry. It's not about you, but it's all about him. It's all about living life the way that he has called us to, which in doing so is the absolute best and most full and abundant life than you could ever hope or 
imagine. When I think about this way that we have been called to live, Jesus tells us there at the end of verse number 37 that we are called now to go and do the same. Now go and do the same. He ends both of these passages here that we looked at in Luke chapter 6 and the way that we're called to relate to those who oppose us. And the end of the story, the uh, parable of the Good Samaritan, he ends it in Luke chapter 10 with the way we're called to respond to and to how we are called to respond to our neighbor. He ends them both the same way. We are to treat them with mercy. We are called to treat them with compassion. That we are called to love them We're called to do good to them, and we're called to give to them. This last week, I had the privilege of attending a workshop at Century Two, and it was entitled Networked for Change. This workshop uh, had about 200, 250 leaders uh, from nonprofits and government, um, local governments from around our state. And as we were talking about and hearing from different speakers about how to address the problems and the issues that are existing in our communities, there were two different speakers that said some things uh, that just kind of were a gut punch for me. And so as I was wrestling with both of these statements that had been made, I was trying to pick and choose which one would be um, the most applicable, but also the one that I think that would um, be able to help kind of wrap this up. Instead of choosing them, I'm going to share them both with you. The one speaker, he's talking about the way that we are called to be active in our community. And he said this, when are you going to get beyond yes? When are you going to get beyond your yes? See, it's one thing for us to say, yes, Jesus, I know that I am called to love my enemy. I know that I am called to do good to my enemy. I know that I am called to give to my enemy. And it's one thing to know it, but it's another thing to feel it. And it's another thing to go and to do something about it. When are you going to get beyond your yes? Another speaker was from Graham County, Kansas, uh, which is just north of Wakini. Um, if you've ever headed to Colorado on I-70, heading west, um, out in the western part of our state, they had put up a billboard in Graham County. And they had put it up there for everybody to see, and it had just a couple words on this billboard, but they were powerful. And it said, complacency is over in Graham County. Complacency is over in Graham County. And as I was hearing the speaker share about this billboard that they put up, I I began to just imagine, I began to wonder, and I began to dream, and I began to hope, what would it look like if complacency was over at Wichita first? What would it look like if complacency was over in my family? What would it look like if complacency was over in my life? Well, if that was true, and we each began to make progress and to move towards that type of life where complacency was no longer a part of it, 
then we would not only hear the words of Jesus, but we would actually live out the words of Jesus. We would love our enemies. We would do good to our enemies. We would give to our enemies. We would do all of the things that he is asking us to do, not out of obligation, but because we have been loved, now we get to go and love others. And so my challenge to you this morning is the same challenge that Jesus gave in 1037, those last few words. Now, go and do. Go and do. Would you join me in prayer? Would you bow your heads? Jesus, these are hard words. These are difficult words. But if the God who sent his one and only son here to this earth did so out of love and was able to forgive those who crucified him, then so can we. We can love our enemies. We can do good to our enemies. We can give to our enemies. And we do so not with our own strength, but we do so with the strength that you provide, that you give us on a daily basis through your spirit. That you are the one who empowers us. You are the one who strengthens us. You are the one who emboldens us to go and to live and to be good citizens of this upside-down kingdom that your son instituted. So Jesus, that challenge that you gave to us, go and do. Help us to make progress on that this week. Help us to realize that this is not just a one and done. This isn't just something that we need to um, intellectually uh, begin to understand and to wrap our minds around, but this is a challenge. This is a task. This is something that should motivate us to action, to go and do. Jesus, we thank you for this challenge. We thank you for this encouragement. We thank you for your love. It's in your name, our Lord, our Savior, and our Redeemer that we ask all of these things. Amen.